it's Lucy Litch, and this is Tiny House Conversations. It's the Australian-based podcast where I interview experienced tiny houses, tiny builders, and adventurers in the tiny world, so you can discover how to create, build, and transition into tiny life. So you want to go tiny, but you might be wondering, where can I park my tiny house? I want to let you know that I have a special unreleased podcast episode of tiny house parking success stories from other tiny houses who were just like you and who have easily managed to find a long-term parking space for their tiny home. Some of them have even found more than one space. So if you want ideas on finding a parking space for your tiny, you can download this episode for free. To get access to it, head over to tinyhouseconversations.com forward slash tiny parking. If you enter your details there, I'll send it straight to your inbox. Now let's intro today's episode. Hey, it's Lucy back with another episode of Tiny House Conversations. On the show today, I have Adam Hickman, who's a carpenter and natural building practitioner originally from the UK, but now based in Victoria, and who lived in a converted tiny house truck with his family several years ago. These days, Adam and his family live in a straw bale house, which he constructed himself, and Adam also runs a tiny building company called Evergreen Homes. And in this conversation, we talk about what it's like to live in a converted tiny house truck and how it was constructed with about 85% recycled materials, Adam's experiences of living in a like-minded tiny house community. We also talked about what a straw bale house is and the features included in Adam's current family home, all about Adam's tiny building company, Evergreen Homes, and plenty more. So on to this tiny house conversation with Adam. Adam, thank you so much for joining me on Tiny House Conversations. It's so great to have you here today. Oh, thanks for inviting me. It's yeah, it's really exciting to be a part of uh yeah, carry on being a part of the tiny house movement and yeah, share my story and hopefully inspire some people out there or you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So great to have you here. And you know, Adam, I know that you're a self-employed carpenter and natural building practitioner, and you previously lived uh, with your partner in a converted tiny truck several years ago. And I know now that you've kind of transitioned with your family into a, a straw bale house in Victoria. And so today in the conversation, I'd love to hear a bit about your experience of, of living in both of those small spaces. But first up, are you able to start by sharing with us just a bit about your background, how you discovered tiny houses, and maybe some of your reasons for going tiny? Yeah, so I, I moved to Australia about 11 years ago now. And I was um, doing construction in the UK from when I left school. Yeah, so when I came to Australia, I sort of, I was a bit sick of the construction industry, to be honest. I sort of wanted to get out of it and hang out with people my own age. And we were living in Melbourne and uh, I just got a job in a, in a vintage shop and cafe in Brunswick. We ended up traveling around Western Australia for, for six, seven months to do my work in holiday visa. To, and we were woofing on organic farms and we met some really interesting people and it really sort of opened our eyes sort of taught us more about 
living on the land, um, sustainability and and permaculture and natural building. And and when I um I sort of when I heard about natural building and, and specifically earthships in the beginning, it just sounded like sort of perfect sort of balance of of connecting my my building skills with sustainability. That was just the spark and the, the beginning of this whole journey into um natural building um more sustainable living for ourselves our family um and hopefully society like trying to um yeah live the change you want to see and uh, yeah i suppose on that journey i um we moved from the city into um we started a, a small community in the north of victoria and in seymour and we were there with friends maybe uh, about there was about seven of us we were living firstly in our tent on a 16 acre property cooking all our food on rocket stoves and um a couple of people were in cars and 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 vans and a little cob house um that we sort of built on um in a workshop we ran there and there was a lot of sort of fire energy of people that were real doers that wanted to make change and actually implement it and it was we you know we all fed off each other and it was just this amazing potent energy of change and fire and 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 youth and just very very exciting time for us all and really happy memories of that time and um during that i met a good friend of mine to this day um rob scott who started a company called studio trucks and he was one of the sort of pioneers of of the tiny house movement in in australia as far as i'm aware or and uh, you know his, his tiny house story was out of necessity and so it was ours really like um you know we we needed a space we could be comfortable on the land something that was yeah could um be built quickly be transportable if our living situation changed to building requirements as far as um council and stuff I started working with Rob and building some tiny houses probably eight years, seven, eight years ago. Sort of hard to remember with a timeline now. So much has happened <laughs> over the last 10 years. But yeah, that was the instigator to for us to build our own tiny house. And that was that was the start of our tiny house living journey, really. It sounds great. And you mentioned before there about community. So did you find that there were other people also living, like you, you mentioned Rob, but then were all the other people that were part of that community, were they living in small spaces too that they'd built themselves and so that you're all there together? Or uh, Yeah, we um, we built a, um, a little 10 square metre cob house, which uh, another couple, Jesse and, T- and Danny, were living in. And then we built a um, little 10 square metre super adobe dome that we, with a little mezzanine that, um, we sort of used as a bit of an indoor communal space, but then someone else had, yeah, it was a bit of van life happening with a couple of people with sort of semi-converted vans. Um, and then we we had like a big outdoor area that we built with a fireplace in it. That was sort of our communal area. Um, you know, it was, there was a lot of like, it was pretty renegade and pretty, um, but like amazing and potent. And like I said, like just super inspiring. And we, used to run workshops from that property and we just got we had visitors from melbourne just constantly just i think the energy of that what was happening was so 
yeah tangible and inspiring and connecting you know for us all like it was a very transformative time for us all I think yeah I can imagine and I think there's something beautiful to be able to you know share land and and live nearby to or with a community of like-minded people and I'm wondering as well because I know that uh then there's also the aspect of you know when even when people are like-minded and there's also the re- reality of or well, everyone has sort of different ways of living and being and maybe there's like different perspectives or people are going through different things or have different goals. So I'm just wondering whether there any challenges that you came up with around living in community with people as well. Oh, heaps. <laughs> um, I yeah, so. I, think the, I think the social the social side is probably the most challenging aspect of living in community. At that time, we... Um, we're very, very focused on open communication, doing circles, sharing circles, like NVC, nonviolent communication. We were very much, yeah, it wasn't just about our individual de- development. It was about our collective openness and, and development and, uh, um, yeah, broadening our consciousness together as a group and moving past this insular nuclear way of living um so we all had a real passion for that so that was a you know which is a sort of essential to live in community with people is to have an ability to share um, and listen without judgment and loving kindness and you know it was clunky at times but um after that community we moved to another community which is one of the long, longest standing communities in Australia called Common Ground which is um, in Seymour in Victoria and they had a lot of elders there that have been going since the 80s which they developed an organisation called the Group Work Institute which is still running and amazing in Melbourne um, to this day and they it was sort of what we were missing at the other community as far as this grounding mentorship elders energy that um that's what we gained from living at common ground community um as far as tools like developing our tools for communication and working in groups and yeah that was yeah the next journey of of living and learning and and living with people on that level so that was another the next step of the the madness that's happened over the last 10 years (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I think you just touched on something there too, talking about how, you know, something that you felt like maybe you were missing in the previous community was that eldership and mm. and learning from those that maybe on the path a, a bit longer and, uh, you know, have different wisdoms to share and, and to, to help guide um, individuals or, or the whole community. And I think that just in general in, in our modern Western society that we're also missing that, right? And there is this mm-hmm. more individualism of separate families. Not, Of course, not everyone, but just in a general sense, you know, yeah. the family unit is is not like the village anymore. It's like the individual, it's the parents and the children and, and that mm-hmm. kind of thing, or at least mm-hmm. it, it can be often. And so, yeah, I, I really love that um, because we, we are we are communal beings and we are designed for connection and being together and collaborating mm. and, you know, this, this deep connection and, and belonging and feeling like we're part of something that's greater than just us as the individual. So I, I really love that. And I can imagine there would be so many, as you say, so many beautiful and positive things. And then by the same token, lots of challenges too, when, 
as we know, when being in relationship, that, that is often where our biggest lessons and challenges and, and, you know, shadows may be illuminated and all of that. So it's really, it's really cool to just hear different experiences. And we, we mentioned before, like you were in, in that converted tiny truck. So I'm just curious, yeah. like, what was it like to, to live in that space? And then what kind of setup did you have? I'm, I'm assuming that you're off the grid. And what kind of materials and things did you use to, to construct that? The day I, I remember the day the tiny house wasn't finished, but I remember the day we got solar sorted out and we had lights for the first time and mm-hmm. all of us in the community just sat on the floor in there and had dinner and it was, yeah, I, I I remember it so clearly. Um just this yeah, liberation and um empowerment of having our own space you know it was real flash like it was super awesome and I can't remember what year it was but it was New Year's Day we started building it It was 43 degrees in northern Victoria and one of my 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 best mate from the UK Ben had flown out um three days before to give to spend time in Australia but to give us a hand and my other very close friend Tommy he came up too and the three of us worked on it for a couple of weeks in the blistering sun and and then we had we just had this amazing like we had so many of our friends come up and help throughout the build which you know we're forever thankful for um and it was such a lovely experience to like co-create that tiny house together as a community and it felt just so fitting to have that um that sense of community actually in a building sense I've been collecting recycled materials. So it's about the tr- the tiny house is about eighty five percent recycled materials. The um, yeah, all the corrugated iron, the rusty corrugated iron, and the old weatherboards and the floor we used. We did like a butcher's block floor, which was all offcuts of kiln dried Tasmanian oak from a, a mill up the road, and that was just bundled for firewood, uh, and we. Shani, my partner Shani, was just cutting them into inch thick strips and I laid them down on the floor like um like a brick pattern and it had like it's like a huge butcher's block on the ground. Like the batteries were ex Telstra batteries and solar panels were from a an old school that got pulled off. So much recycled stuff, and everything had a story. You know, all the windows and doors were recycled. Just like I remember, like being on Gumtree at the time, heaps and buying stuff and going to pick it up. Yeah, we're so isolated up in Seymour. It was a bit funky. Like I remember doing quite long trips to pick up a couple of windows, and yeah, just telling the story of what we were doing to these people and really heartwarming to give these the materials a second life and create something um new and exciting from it and and you know if you see the pictures of our the truck house you know it, it it's unique it's it's got its own character and part of that is just the like the amalgamation of funky materials um mm-hmm. and, and and like really cool lead light windows and stuff so it's and i and it was a really beautiful process to to create in that way and have the freedom and time, you know, being the, being the client and having our ethics um, at, at the forefront, you know, because using recycled materials 
is actually if you're paying someone to do it, it's actually more expensive than using new ones. The most important thing for us was you know, creating something that was um, sustainable and interesting and, and, and a piece of art really and um, in a sustainable way to suit the way that we wanted to head with our lives. Yeah, well, yeah, there is def- definitely that aspect of being more environmentally friendly and using uh, or repurposing the materials rather than buying new ones. So, yeah, that's that's great. And I'd love to move a bit more into now like you're living in a, a straw bale house. You know, we eventually realised we wanted to be on our own property and um, we wanted to have that um, be in community in a you know, a beautiful, strong community, but have our own space to sort of make our own decisions in our own family. And um, so we we bought a little block in Dean's Marsh in Victoria, a little half an acre in, in the township. Beautiful, small, 350 people um, community down here. So we drove the tiny house down because the, t- the tiny house is on a 1969 Bedford truck. So we drove it down from Seymour to Dean's Marsh and lived in it um, on a farm around the corner from our property for four years while we were building the straw bale house that we currently live in using it like the tiny as a stepping stone to give us that ability to reduce our outgoings as far as yeah rent and and such um while we were um that gave me more time to work on our straw bale house can you share with us a bit more about straw bale construction and then I guess, the structural aspects of building a straw bale home? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, I fell in love with straw bale building while spending a lot of time in Wales, in England, at a community called uh, La Masse, which is an incredibly inspiring, beautiful place with beautiful people, very committed to the earth um, and living off-grid in a sustainable way. Um, A lot of the houses there are built from straw bale. And, um, yeah, I was very inspired by a man called Simon Dale, who um, is very worth looking up. He's an incredible designer and and very true to his ethics of of sustainability and a beautiful man. And he sort of, yeah, I I got real heavy into straw bale and just how the insulative properties, which, you know, straw bale walls, yeah, can be around sort of, there's there's a few different numbers float around, but like around R8, which is a really high insulation value, and for our climate um, here in Victoria, it's just ideal because we get those hot summers, and but we get those really cold winters. Um, so having, I sort of explain it when I'm teaching, it works like an esky. Yeah, whatever you've got inside that esky, you're either keeping it warm or keeping it cold. And so with um, straw bale as an external, as external walls with a solar passive design, incorporated with a solar passive design um, I I feel is a really um, great way to build as far as sustainability and aesthetics because you get that feeling of these huge thick you know the walls when rendered um, end up being you know around 400 millimeters thick and and you get that I'm sure you've seen on some photos but those big sweeping window reveals with the curves and yeah the aesthetics of it but also the energetic sort of feeling of um the size of the wall and the materials so user-friendly um and like when we built our house 
um, I ran a a workshop to install the bales. So our house is, as as far as construction wise, our house is um, a timber frame. So the straw bales aren't actually load bearing; they're infill. So they're just acting as insulation. They're not actually taking any weight from the roof. Yeah, I specialize in um, in uh, traditional joinery. A lot of our it, our house is a bit of a hybrid. So some of the like the north face, all the glazing is in um, a traditional timber frame. So traditionally jointed and using um, handmade wooden pegs to hold it all together. And yeah, the central frame is also just round timber. So cypress trees left in there round and then joined together with mortise and tenon um, and, and hand driven pegs. So that's sort of taking the load. And then the straw bales are, are just housed between sort of a variation of a stud stud wall, but it's a bit yeah funky and different. But they're not actually taking loads. So yeah, that's that's sort of I suppose the construction element of of the straw bear, our straw bear house anyway. There are different ways to do it. They can be load bearing, um, but it just adds to some difficulties in construction as far as keeping the bales dry whilst you're actually constructing the roof on top of them so i sort of advise not to go down that route but i have seen it work before and and, and there's many ways to implement many different materials depending on what it's it's all about starting from um the design what materials are in your locality that you can collate and um, what is actually going to suit your climate best and your aesthetic choices um because that's you know that's a big part of it too. You've got to really like what you're living in. So yeah, it's that that amalgamation of, of design and and what you can get. Well, we got all our straw bales from Winchelsea, which is you know 15 minutes up the road. Our ethics and and around building materials hasn't changed. We've still with this house sourced a hell of a lot of reclaimed um, materials local we've used a lot of like most of the clay um, in the rendering and all the internal walls of this house are stud walls filled with local rock and clay from the excavation from the house so yeah most of the earth inside the house is off the property and we have an earth floor which is um, yeah the clay from underneath the 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 foundation. So that was really important too. Yeah, having a sort of holistic frame of mind and design as far and you know it's important in every aspect of life to feel into it and feel what's right um, right for you, I suppose. Absolutely, I love the sound of all of that too, and the the natural building. I suppose, philosophy or viewpoint that you have mm. and, you know, using as much natural as well as it sounds like local and what's available to you on the land. I think that is such a, uh, yeah, it's just a, a lovely way to construct your home and to have that connection from the earth as well. And I'm wondering how long did it take you to to construct this straw bell home? Uh, pretty quick. Like I said, like um, the tiny house gave us this sort of, ability to like it you know we're paying barely anything in rent of the land where we were had the tiny house so we didn't have much outgoing so that meant that I could focus more time actually building this house yeah so it really 
gave us that opportunity like for me like the first two it took us three years basically the first two years I was working I built a couple of tiny houses and I was working for other clients throughout that time but then the final year um, I was just full-time on the on the house here in Dean's Marsh and then in that year we we also got pregnant um, so I had a bit of a deadline because we were having a home birth um so we actually moved into the house three weeks before kai was born <laughs> um so there was uh, there's nothing like a deadline that was uh definitely um, a fairly stressful time but so he's 14 months old now so we oh, wow. yeah we've been here for in here for 14 months and we've yeah it's just been amazing so Oh wow, that is amazing! Mm. And to to have a little one that's been brought up in a space like that from the start, I think I can imagine how beautiful that is going to be to kind of see him grow and 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 all of that too. And he's got like it's so tactile, you know. Mm. Like there's round timbers everywhere, like trees, and like this sweeping stone fireplace with local volcanic stone from Colac with like this arched cob bench yeah live edge timber everywhere it's just like you just he's got so much to look at and feel and and play with like and it's i don't know like it's just such a contrast to a sort of standard straight walled yeah metricon home or you know a, a normal house <laughs> it's certainly not a normal house <laughs> <laughs> or maybe maybe by the the standard definition but <laughs> yeah no, <laughs> I'm sure yeah, it is yeah. to you guys yeah, yeah um yeah. well just on that since you were just describing some of those things I was actually going to ask you anyway like are you able to share a bit more about some of the features and what you've included in your new home and then what size is it roughly we had I don't know if you saw it you mentioned it in the email but um Happen Films did a documentary yeah. about our tiny house when we first built it. Um, and Jordan um, is a still a close friend of ours. And um, so he's been filming a documentary of our house, um, the Straw Bale House, over the whole time period of, of building. So he, he's come and filmed four or five times over the last four years. And, you know, before, like he, the first time he filmed, we were living in the tiny house and we did our interview in there. And then we came to the the block when it was a totally blank block. So he's, he's yet, because of um situation over the last few years, um, he, he hasn't been back to film the final roundup of, you know, the debrief and the budget blowout, you know, all that sort of stuff, like the, you know, the reflections, I suppose. Um, so he's they're planning to come to do that soon, and he's doing a feature length documentary about the whole build. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, we're really excited about that. So that's something to look keep look out for as far as like actually sort of seeing our house in on in a doco. But um, it's a very magical place, curved walls and a big baker's oven fireplace in a sort of like Viking esque cob hearth with this big arched timber round timber beam mortise and tenon together and there's a sweeping blue stone crazy pay the floor through half the house which like sort of snakes and meanders through the open plan area and then that sort of leads into the earth floor which feeds into our bedroom which has a big um traditional timber framed king size bed um 
and yeah there's a whole north wall like yeah it's like 10 and a half meters of of double glazed glass um, and traditional timber frame with big sliding doors and which leads out and that all that glass was seconds from the skyscrapers in melbourne um, and then that it leads out onto this deck traditional timber frame deck um there's beautiful cypress decking um that looks out onto this amazing garden that my partner Sean's created with um, a huge veggie patch and a huge orchard and then this na- like lots of natives too with bees down the back and yeah like the entrance to the house is this sort of like porch like a sort of I suppose they, yeah some people think it's quite churchy but it's, yeah, it's definitely my heritage my English heritage has come out with that it's sort of this arch top door that I made and like all um, like an arched timber truss with glass in it and big sweeping oak braces and extremely decadent bathroom with a spa in it i have to say and a a shower with a double head like after living in a tiny house for so many years we we wanted to have a big bathroom so that was definitely a a design a decadent design feature shall i say yeah it's sort of it's i i I could froth and buzz on it and tell you about it for hours i reckon because like there's just so much to see and talk about with it because every part's got its own story. It's totally unique and it's a it's a very special place. I mean, it's our it's our home. It's our it's a place we love. We feel safe. We feel held, um, and we feel yeah, we feel family. You know, here. One thing that we sort of missed in living in a tiny for so long was like the space to have our friends and family over in a big group and that's something we've really been enjoying um because we are very we love community we love people and we love um cooking and sharing food that's definitely something that was more challenging in the cooler months when we lived in the tiny house i can imagine (laughs) it sounds divine though it sounds really lovely and unique and it also sounds like an expression of of you, I suppose you could say, right, and your family. And mm-hmm. um, what what size is it? So you said it's, it seems oh, to be bigger so you can entertain community and all of that. Yeah, so it's um, it's a modest three-bedroom. So it's like it's like 200 square metres. That's including a deck. Um, so I think it's like 165 square metres of the actual house. The open plan living kitchen dining is 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 massive and then and then the bedrooms are a bit smaller um the bathroom is pretty ginormous to be honest but mm-hmm. um our focal point was the communal area because it's cathedral ceilings which means like you've got really high ceilings like the 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 lining of the ceiling follows the rake of the rafters so um the ceiling heights like it's like four meters pretty much to the apex of the roof so you get out like like real big sort of that that makes the open plan space feel even bigger which is real cool but yeah so it's a big change from living in like what was it like i don't know 19 square meters or something for i think we lived in the tiny for like four years five years or something full-time and a few years sort of bits and bobs because we were doing a lot of traveling and whatever else at that time but overall a long time in a very small space (laughs) (laughs) so like coming into moving into this house was we definitely don't take it for granted let's say that 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's nice to have some of those comforts back again too. And, you know, yeah. you, I'm yeah. sure you appreciate it so much as oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> it makes us appreciate that. Even just flicking on a kettle sometimes, I mean, we, like in summer, because like, we have a kettle on top of the baker's oven stove in winter, but, yeah, we're putting, putting on a piece of toast in the toaster is like, actually a real treat you know (laughs) (laughs) the awareness of usage like I don't think we'll ever I mean we're very passionate about that anyway but after living in a tiny with a yeah small solar system for that long you really get to know how to sort of minimize just your usage of of power and 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 water and, and all that you know we we should probably be all well you know i'm not preaching but it'd be it'd be a good idea to be considerate as a as a as um, a species to um, yeah more considerate as a species towards our um our um resources our resources exactly yeah 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 definitely it's that next level self-responsibility i i feel and yeah just on that, so what what are you doing now in your current home for um, power and water and toilets and grey water, that kind of thing? Like our township, which was a real big seller for us, is off-grid pretty much. It's got power, mm-hmm. so there is grid connect to the power, and we're currently just getting solar installed. So that's sort of – we didn't have the money at the time when we were building, so we, we put that off a little bit Um and then we're just currently sorting that out at the moment. And but we have a septic system. Uh, it's called an Aquanova. It uses very low energy. It's got like a sand filter, and then uses. It's like a bit like a Bakashi compost system in a way. Um, so it, all our black water and grey water goes into that, and then gets irrigated through the backyard under the orchard. And it's like real potent fertilizer. So. Um, we're using that um our heating is minimal like we have our baker's oven which is like yeah you can cook on it there's like the oven underneath and then the firebox that's our only source of heat because uh we have you know even in our bedroom which is on the north side we've got a huge window so it's almost like you could say 15 because the house is 15 meters wide so it's almost 15 meters of glass in the north um with a the deck and the roof outside it currently hasn't got deciduous vines on it but the grapes are growing and they're planted and growing but we use just a shade cloth currently in summer um to stop the 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 summer sun coming in and heating up the thermal mass of the earth floor but then in winter that low-lying sun comes into that into the space and and warms up so it's a real and because of the high insulation value of the straw bales and the insulation we've got in the roof and and the thermal mass walls internally um that the house just stays very very consistent in temperature like the heating isn't necessary like yeah we like cooking on it so but yeah we don't need air con or anything like that because of the insulation and the solar passive design um we have uh our hot water is we use a heat pump a sand and heat pump which is like the top top end of the um heat pumps on the market which uses very we got everything electric because we were 
passionate about not having gas ill. I got like a smeg oven and cooked up for marketplace. Yeah, it was like fifteen hundred bucks instead of like three and a half grand or something, and that's just electric. But yeah, so obviously when we have solar and batteries, which we're getting soon, um, we will be. We oh, and our water. We got seventy five thousand liters of water storage on the property, so we harvest all our rainwater and then filter it back into the house. So we have like two hundred square meters of um, water catchment. So it's like, you know, a liter, a mill of rain is a liter, like in a square meter of, of catchment is a liter of water. So we get really good catchment and we get a fair bit of rain down here in the marsh. Yeah, we, we're good for water. We will essentially be living an off-grid life, but there will be a grid connect point on the property. Um, but yeah, I mean, which is sort of handy if you if you need it. But like, yeah, our goal is to be self-resilient, really. Um, with our food we don't have animals but we um well we have a little dog a dog little labrador um but yeah as far as we got bees but we're planning to grow enough um veggies and fruit for trade with our local community because we've got friends that are beef farmers lamb farmers um do eggs and that so yeah we're the goal is to be self-resilient well i mean i heard someone um david hongren talk recently and you mentioned this idea of self-resilience becoming community resilience because as community there's so much strength in community and it's not just the trade of the product that's happening it's the trade of interaction and um happiness and and sharing and support that that comes alongside with that and i think yeah just we had a big solstice event uh, which is quite uh, well known around the Otways uh, in Dean's Marsh on Saturday night. And, you know, the the feeling from that event of, and we sort of talked about this briefly at the start of this podcast, but like we are, uh, as as human nature, we are designed to interact, to um, feed off each other, to um, support and laugh with each other. And having that back into our la- lives now after the last few years is just like yeah it's really filled that void that we were feeling you know which was which was a really sad time but yeah that happiness and and the void that it feels full again which um you know it's our human human nature to to search for that and it feels really great that we've got that back now i mean we've talked about community a few times but then you add in this you know, storytelling and sitting around the fire and and just those real primal ways of being on the land together too. And yeah, it just feels like such a rich way to live. And I know that I I think especially with, you know, lots of things happening in the world in the last few years is that there is this return to community. Um, On some level, we're realizing like how much we really can be disconnected and isolated and that, you know, we can't do it without each other. We, 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 we need each other and we all play an important role. Every single one of us, um, Mm -hmm. even if we may not think that we do, or we don't feel like we belong, we, we do like, and, Mm -hmm. and so it is, I I love that, you know, this uh, return to living on the land does really support that because there are so many people that want to do the same thing. And, and, 
yeah, it just feels like such a rich way to live and such a uh, an honoring of of where we came from as as human beings and as a species. Mm. And yeah, I, I'm just loving hearing just you know what you're what you're creating f- with your family and with your community and what you're doing on the land. It's really really inspiring and. Lot of your experiences, you know, whether it's from living in your in your tiny truck, or, or your experience of even building tiny homes, and then you know where you're living now and being in community. What's maybe one of the most valuable lessons you've learned, whether it's about yourself, about life? Well, that's a fairly big philosophical question that I need a moment to consider. I mean, it sounds relatively cheesy, but believing in yourself and also yeah I suppose on that same thing it's like knowing and like feeling into what's right for you regardless of your surroundings or you know that for me I have always strive to not judge others and I think yeah for this is segueing into like this realization that I think about a lot it's like you never know what is going on for another person. You never have, you just do not know what's going on inside their mind, what they've experienced, their past trauma, their their lifestyle. Like, yeah, I think in a weird way, like we're all trying our best. That just might look different to other people. Yeah, and on that sort of topic of disconnect and, and isolation over the last wee while, like it's just more and more, apparent to me that that connection of community um and localizing taking the power back to our local like localization and community is is fundamental um and this global globalist um authority and and big companies big big tech and stuff um the power is in the people and believing in yourself and holding your value but your values close to your heart and and faith in 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 life and yourself the biggest lesson i feel like i've learned amongst you know all the practical skills and all that sort of stuff but the actual uh backbone to to the to my life story is 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 probably that yeah for sure and you know there can be so much noise going on out out there in the world and and all these distractions taking us away from you know who we really are and taking us away from being united with each other that mm. it is so important to have that i mean it always starts with, with us and then it expands out into our our relationships and our community but to really have that self trust and self belief and then as you're talking about with what you're creating this self resilience and self sufficiency and that you know we're so much stronger than and capable than maybe we we've been told that we are and you know mm. there's just there's so much noise out there taking us away from that true nature so mm. yeah i love that such a such a valuable lesson some people like might really struggle with the, how small the space is especially like if you you're a couple but the liberation of it is just um amazing for instance, our tiny home, in hindsight, you know, I've, I've lived in a tiny home. I've designed lots of tiny homes. I've built lots of tiny homes. One thing for our tiny house, the actual design wasn't that friendly for living in full time. Like it had heaps of space, but um, which was at the time really important for us. But the like floor space, I mean, 
it wasn't so i suppose i went at the time you know i was a lot younger i went more aesthetic rather than the practicalities i mean i didn't know at the time what worked like as much to what i do now as far as what works when you're actually living in it and um so our house was probably more designed for like an airbnb or a weekend stay clever design features is really important and i don't know like i i really like i'm a very personal person i really like um design i love design and i love people and 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 i like to offer my company is to actually like communicate with the client and the work out what their needs are and um and cater for that and i've done a lot of bespoke totally bespoke tiny houses over the years which has been very rewarding and i and i love that aspect of it um creating space co-creating space with a client and sharing my knowledge and experience with them and and also like incorporating their sort of dreams and and visions too and to actually have a longevity in living in a tiny house um it's just really important to i suppose with the assistance from either me or or someone with with experience like with the how important the layout is for you what you actually how you live your life you know you can't just jump into any space and, and it work for the way that you live day to day you know you just touched on there anyway so you know, you build tiny homes with other people. So your business is Evergreen Homes. Are you able to talk to us just a little bit more about about that and maybe um, any projects that you're currently working on? Oh, yeah, sure. So it's, um, yeah, my business, Evergreen Homes Australia. I'm just getting a, a trailer, 7.2 metre long trailer delivered um, next week. And we're about to start building a, a tiny house that I've designed as a bit of a, a bit of an idea of a, of a of a model that can be sort of semi replicated but semi in, and but interchangeable with layout so a bit of a project for one to take take with I'm appearing like doing a talk at the tiny house festival in September and we will be taking that tiny house with my my team to there to showcase and and so yeah I mean I've done a lot of work over the years with tiny houses and straw bale houses and natural building, uh, traditional timber framing, I'm seeing a lot of people out there that because of this housing crisis with the the cost of land, like our area down here is just like, like insane. Like and it's across the whole of Australia, probably it's like gone, everything's going up. It's totally unsustainable, but I'm wanting to provide more opportunity for tiny houses available in my area of the state and you know if people really like my way of design and my way of building then you know it's still possible to surface service the rest of australia which is really cool thing about tiny houses yeah i think just the need for the highland value you know around our way you know there's a lot of farmers um with huge amounts of land that really like uh, having a hard time with their their farming, making money, um, and I totally love lovely people that would be super keen for having some tiny house rentals on their place. And yeah, just seeing like this, like a more and more a need for affordable living. Yeah, it's it's pretty sad that people are just getting 
flooding out of the market. Like people can't get in now. It's just yeah. crazy. We were so lucky when we when we bought our block. It was before, um, just before the, the explosion of, of cost. Premier said something about um, people are happy to to rent, and I think uh, that's absolute nonsense. Like people want to own a place like people want to have the security like i've got friends in torquay that have had to move like four or five times over the last few years because housing is changing houses are becoming holiday homes people are buying from melbourne um and and making and and so that's the letting market is totally changed as well um it's like people people want to buy like own their own place for security and and i think Tiny houses, um, they're ever evolving and, and, and stuff. But like, I think it's like I'm really keen to be involved in, in helping people out with that. Having a home and having food and having your health is, 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 is a human right, you know. The Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you get those covered and then you, you're in a, a state of balance. And, and I think having house home security is is really important to me so if i can help provide that on some level with tiny houses then that's you know that's really cool and i'm i'm really happy with that yeah i couldn't agree more it is a really challenging time in the housing space and as you're talking about like having these basic needs met you know food water shelter that kind of thing yeah uh, you know we all should have access to and it shouldn't be such a struggle and you know there's obviously lots of different forces happening out there as you, you mentioned a little bit earlier too um, I, i'm curious just with your the homes that you build so do you normally do like customization for people according to to what they're looking for do you have different base models or how does that work um, when working with you at evergreen in the past it's always been totally bespoke and custom Mm. Um, i'm actually moving towards having some basic models that can be interchanged i'm very passionate about sort of my aesthetic and like what i like to build with so that so there will be a certain adam style to my tiny houses and that's the nature of it and people will come to me or, or come to go to another person to suit their style but i want to be you know building things that inspire me too um i think that's really important so you know there will be i'm moving to i'm still will be doing bespoke tiny houses for people um but also really like it makes it more affordable for a client if i have some base models there can be like sort of small alterations made to you know give someone um a chance to um amend the design to like i was saying before to suit their sort of needs and the way they like to live day to day which it's very important to me to um provide that service too but as having models that are already designed i've already designed i've already got the 3d models i already know the the materials listing i can actually offer them at a as a a lower price basically unlike the totally bespoke ones which take a lot more time to to design which is super fun it just ends up costing a bit more as you can imagine but um that's where the evergreen homes australia is moving into different models to uh, cater for different people's budgets and to streamline things a little bit as far as my organization and with my workers and such like just to make it sort of flow 
better all round, really, uh, which is exciting. I'm, I'm I'm super pumped for what's coming. And and I think also just with all the housing stuff that is happening now, that more and more people are looking towards this way of living and looking towards tiny houses as a as an option for living uh, or even, you know, weekend stays. And, and then also there's, there is the Airbnb thing. But I think, yeah, the most important thing is to have that, as we talked about before, the basic needs for people to actually live in full time. And then that's another story when it comes to the regulations and all that. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah sure. that's, a, that's a whole other rabbit hole. But if anyone uh, is interested, actually, I did an episode number 21 on tiny house regulation. So I'll put a, a link to that in the show notes. But Adam, where is the best pe- place that people can come and connect with you online or if they want to see what you're doing with Evergreen Homes or they want to work with you? My Instagram account, um, Evergreen Homes AU, um, that's a good place for just like videos or um, and photos of current projects. I do have a website, evergreenhomesaustralia.com.au and that, you know, you, my contact details on on all of those. And, and, and to be honest, I, give me a ring. Send me an email if you if you want to, but like I'm, you know, let's organize a chat and actually jam out what it is you you want and um and have a have a conversation, even a Zoom chat, because you know I just you've got to like me, and um, I really like that aspect of, of of building for someone is is making sure that we're on the same page and and I'm providing what you, you what they need. So yeah, um, get onto the, my website, Instagram. Send me an email. Send me a message. Give me a call. Take it from there. Have a chat. It's exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'll put a link in the show notes to to all your to your website, to your social media platforms, and all of that as well. So if anyone wants to find those show notes, you can do that at tinyhouseconversations.com. And Adam, thank you so much for being here on Tiny House Conversations with me. It's been really great to just hear your story, love what you're doing with Evergreen Homes, and I look forward to seeing what unfolds for you in, in the evolution of your business and then and also seeing, uh, you know, your, your straw bale home in, in action as well. So thank you so much for your time today and for sharing so generously with us. Oh, thanks a lot, Lucy. Thanks for inviting me, um, giving me the opportunity to do it. Yeah, keep up the good work with your podcasts and sharing stories and good on you for doing it. I think it's great. So, yeah, thank thank you. you. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you so much for saying that. I I really appreciate it. It's always really nice to connect with different people in this space like yourself. So, yeah, great to be here with you. And if you're listening to us at home, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us as always. Make sure you stay tuned every Thursday for new episodes of Tiny House Conversations and I'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening and if you enjoyed the conversation today, you found it valuable and you want to support the podcast, the best way you can do that is to share the love. That way I can keep bringing you more Tiny House Conversations to help you on your own tiny journey. So here are three ways that you can support the podcast. Number one, if you have a friend or family member that you feel would benefit from hearing these conversations, feel free to share it with them, email them, text them, send them a telegram, do whatever you need to do to share it with them. Number two, if you hit the subscribe button, you'll know exactly when the next episode is live. And number three, if you head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to podcasts and leave a five-star rating and review, Thank you so much in advance. I appreciate you and I'll see you in the next episode.